Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Welcome in, everybody. Episode 11 uh, from the Braves booth. Happy you found us wherever you tune into your podcast. We're here just about every single week alongside Joe Simpson and our producer engineer, Jonathan Chadwick. Ben Ingram here with you. We come to you from Truist Park today, where tonight the Braves take on the Yankees in the second game of a two-game series, and the Braves have back-to-back off days for the Giants come to town. So whether you're listening to this uh, pretty close to when this is put out or whether it's a week down the road, happy to have you with us and uh, good to chat some baseball with all of you over the course of the next 30 40 50 minutes or so joe how you doing today great 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 happy to be here hoping the braves can get back on track tonight and split this two-game set with the yankees no reason to think they can't with charlie morton out there mm-hmm. jay chad give me a thumbs up or thumbs down how you doing today he's saying two thumbs up dang we need to write this down and record it in history Look at him yeah i don't think i've ever seen two thumbs up and a smile from jc he'll be joining us a little bit later and uh, once we get to your portion of uh, the email portion of our show he'll be joining us speaking of that bravesbooth at gmail.com is our email address and you can fire away with anything jc gets all those emails and he filters them down to us so if, if you send emails that say you can't stand us we never see them you know we never get those jc make sure we never see those bravesbooth at gmail.com so it was quite the road trip for the braves joe and as we discuss it was the most successful road trip for an atlanta team since 1992 took all that momentum into last night's ball game lost to the yankees but still if this team wins the division and we'll see what happens over the next 37 ball games but if they find a way to win this division i think we'll look back on that road trip and say there's where they got things going and propelled themselves to where they finished yeah and i think it gave them a ton of confidence going forward for the rest of this this real gauntlet of a schedule they have left knowing that uh, they can put together some pretty good runs and uh, they can fall behind and still come back and win too they're getting good pitching they're playing great defense and they're getting great two out hitting hopefully that will uh, pick up tonight and they get a win and then a couple of days off we'll see how that uh, affects the team. A lot of people speculating, you know, they're playing so well. Well, we take two days off now, we won't be able to uh, generate the same uh, enthusiasm and drive that we had before. I don't buy it. I think mm-hmm. they'll they'll get some good rest and still be ready to maintain what they've been doing. I'm looking at this section of the schedule similarly to how I looked at the schedule right after the All-Star break. And like we said, the Yankees are here for the second game tonight, want to win this ball game. If you had told me coming in to get a split in the two games, I'd have been thrilled with that. Sure. 
sure. I'll, I'll take that. Those six games coming up, three with the Dodgers, three with the Giants. If you tell me you're getting three of those six, I'd be fine with that too. And, the re- and of course, I want more. But the reason I say all that is, and we brought this up on the air the other night, after the All-Star break, it was the Rays, it was the Padres, it was the Phillies, it was the Mets, it was the Brewers. And I kept thinking to myself, if they can tread water, they can go 500 in that span, the schedule lightens up, and then you can really get on a roll. Well, I, and, and they did that. And they were 500 in that stretch, mm-hmm. really got on a roll. I think they're back in a tough stretch now. Yankees, Giants, Dodgers, Rockies. And then you come home and see the Nationals, you see the Marlins, and you see the Rockies who are not good on the road. And it's almost like it's an ebb and flow of, of with a schedule. It's up, and then it gets a little bit easier on you. And then it's tough, and then it gets a little bit easier on you. And you correct me if I'm wrong. I feel like if you take care of business when the schedule lightens up a little bit, and you can hang in there and go 500 when the schedule gets tough, you should be the last team standing. I would hope so. I really do. I, I liked what Brian Snitker said. No, actually, it was Freddie Freeman who said last night, we don't look at the jerseys. We're not paying attention to that. We just go out to win every night. And I thought that was a great attitude and a, a great comment for everybody else to kind of latch on to. Mm-hmm. Uh, they know that every game is important. Every game counts, uh, regardless of who they're playing. You just pointed out uh, how the the schedule or the remaining schedule is going to go up and down. Uh, But you're going to go to Colorado. The team is going to Colorado. They're going to Arizona. Two teams that you would hope to beat and win the series, three out of four. But you might run into a tough pitcher. You might run into a guy like Montgomery last night who only went uh, five innings, or did he go six? Anyway, I think it was five. But he just gave up the one run. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he wasn't blowing anybody away, but he was able to pitch around some trouble and and get out of it. So you're going to run into some nights where a pitcher is on for a team that's not contending, and you got to deal with that too. So back to your question: If they take care of business against the teams that they're supposed to beat. Uh, whether it's home or road, they're going to be in good shape. Yeah, I think so, too. That upcoming road trip, I think the natural thing to do would be to say, well, once you get through L.A., it should be good. Uh-uh. No. That Rocky team is really good at home, and nobody wants a four-game series in Colorado. That will beat your pitching to a pulp. Yep. And, and you've got that coming up, so that's not going to be easy. Fortunately, you have an off day when you come back. But that's why I say over these next – counting last night, you've got – what is it, 12, 13 games, Yankees 2, Giants 3, Dodgers 3, Rockies 4. If you give me 500 in that span, cool. Take it. I'm fine with that. Yeah. Because I don't, I don't think you're going to lose a whole lot of ground and then roll up your sleeves and get after the Nats and the Marlins and the Rockies the way you did on that last road trip. Well, I think, too, with the, the team discussing going to a six-man rotation, that's going to help. Uh, I think there's um, a way – to massage that uh, when Ian Anderson comes back to leave Tookie in the rotation and, and just go from there. And because of the competition and because of the uh, time of the season, late August going into September, I think the guys are going to need as much rest as they can get, and I think it'll make them that much better. You've lived through this. What's it like for a player end of August turning September how much different does it feel playing the game every day compared to the previous months of the season you got to get your rest bottom line is uh any extraneous stuff uh you've you've got to try to limit that you know some of these guys have young children um Freddie Freeman comes to mind right away and you've got obligations at home and you've got uh things you want to do 
when you're at home. Travis Darno's a good example. Just got back from paternity leave. Yeah, he's got a, a newborn baby. So there are things that you tend to as men and your families, and at this time of year, that begins to take a toll on you a little bit. Now, that sounds kind of ugly to say that your family's, you know, worrying or uh, wearing you down, mm-hmm. but your game is what's wearing you down. The temperatures, the heat, all that is what's wearing you down. So you've got to get your rest when you can get it and uh, hope that you can make it through it and still be strong come the end of September. When people say that the season is a grind, do you think they mean this part of the season more than any other part of the season? Yes, I do. I mean, but it, unlike any of the other sports, uh, the only one I will even closely equate it to is uh, hockey uh-huh. because hockey plays a lot of games. They might play two, uh, maybe even three games a week. Uh, and that's a lot for the physicality of that game and the brutalness of it. Baseball, uh, I mean, football rather is once a week. Sure. It, it takes its toll, but you get a week to rest. Uh, basketball might have some back-to-backers uh, that are tough travel-wise. and But I, I just still say baseball is every night. That's the grind, every night. You get a day off here and there, whoop-de-doo. But it is a grind. <laughs> you put it on autopilot in April, and you and you try to make it through to September. Yeah, it really is unique. And, and what's even more unique is the two off days coming up this week. And we discovered the reason why with, of course, the Yankees head to Oakland after this trip to Atlanta. So they wanted a day game for their getaway day. Braves wanted both of these games at night, understandably so. And we saw the proof of that last night with almost 40,000 people here. So yeah. I think the original schedule was off Monday, Yankees Tuesday, Wednesday, off Thursday. So they said, well, let's move the series to Monday, Tuesday. So the Yankees get out of town with plenty of time in Oakland to rest up. And the Braves get two off nights, two night, I'm sorry, two night games rather than night game, day game with the Yankees in town, capitalize on the gate. And then you get yourself back-to-back off days. Yeah, it was uh, a, a, clear, a clearer picture of how that all came to be. And uh, while the Yankees are going to leave tonight uh, to go to Oakland and get there at, you know, a very early hour in the morning mm-hmm. they're going to have the off day to recoup right so that's the reason for that and i thought it, it was really enlightening the other day we were in baltimore and jim palmer came in our booth and you asked him have you seen this and we've both asked other people who have been around the game for a long time have you ever seen back-to-back off days he's the only guy who said i have mm-hmm. he's been around a game for 60 years yeah and it was way back I mean, it was a long, long time ago that he recalled uh, having this happen. And maybe it was just this type of schedule thing that uh, caused it to happen. Mm -hmm. But uh, whatever the reason, I think uh, by and large, if you did a poll of all the the players and the staff, they'd say, hey, we don't mind. Right. Especially this time of year. We're okay. If this is April or May, say this, uh, I want to get out there. I want to be playing. Right. But August, final week of August. Yeah, you bet they'll take back-to-back off days. Um, over the road trip, like you mentioned, we saw some good pitching. Uh, we saw some good stuff with the lineup, and it's good to see Travis Darno back in there. We've talked on the last episode about how deep the lineup is now. Uh, people ask me all the time about the bullpen, and we've seen Will Smith, just looking at the numbers, pretty much get the job done. I mean, there are only a few blown saves that he has in there. However, it's been an adventure getting there. And naturally, people want to know, are the Braves planning on sticking with him? Or might we see Richard Rodriguez in a situation at some point in the final five weeks of the season? I've come to the conclusion that the group you have, this is what you have. And these are their roles. Yep. 
And I, I don't know whether it makes sense to fans or not. I don't think Snit's going to do anything other to, other than that and deviate away from what we've seen. I don't, based on what he's said and what I've heard him say, I don't think he's going to change. Uh, he admits that uh, Will has some rough outings, and he said that comes with the territory. You're going to blow some games once in a while at the end. Uh, but he said he's also saved 20 six or seven whatever it is right now maybe 28 uh so he's he's getting the job done and it doesn't always have to be pretty it just uh i mean it makes us you know dig into the the cigarette packs (laughs) we're the same as any other Uh, fan out there i mean we're lighting up up here and you know going (laughs) oh boy trembling hands uh, here we go again type thing but he's getting it done and i don't see uh, brian snicker making any changes there yeah i think what you got right now that's what you are the rest of the way i mean there's no uh, and, and definitely with the personnel but when it comes to the specific roles i don't think you just switch no all of a sudden and no august september and, and just for what it's worth none of us smoke <laughs> oh, only when we have to yeah right? <laughs> right um i know we're gonna get to some of the emails here in a little while i read something today that is not related to the Braves, but related to the game that I just had to bring up. I thought this was the perfect venue for this. Have you ever heard of Ray Caldwell before? No. Does that name ever ring a bell? Today, August the 24th, 2021, is the 102nd anniversary. This is one of the craziest stories I've ever read. Of Ray Caldwell, pitcher for the Indians, being struck by lightning in a game. Huh getting back on the mound and finishing the game. No fooling. No fooling. Wow. Uh, I was reading this, and this just made me laugh. This guy had been with the Yankees for a while, and for the time, I think the word was carouser at the Mm -hmm. time. Mm -hmm. He was a major carouser, and so was Babe Ruth. Sure. And the Yankees knew they had to they had to separate these two guys. And there was a time where Ray Caldwell was a big time up and coming pitcher, but he just partied a lot, and they wanted him to be away from Ruth. So the Indians get him, and Tris Speaker was a player manager for the team. I believe he hit third or fourth in the lineup. He signed the contract. He made up the contract for Ray Caldwell. And knowing that he was a notorious partier, he put in the contract that the Knights, after he pitches, he has to go get drunk. He has to go and party and get it out of his system so he can go through the process of being ready four (laughs) days later and being good. Pitch that day, do it all over again. So that I thought that was a genius idea. Mm-hmm. So he's out there on the mound. It was his ver- it was his very first appearance with Cleveland. Storm rolls in off Lake Erie. They're in the ninth inning. He got two outs. He needs one more out. And lightning strikes him. He falls out on the field. His uniform is singed, and everybody's gathered around him thinking he's dead. And he starts groaning, gets up, and they're like, we got to help you out of here. He said, I got one more out to get. Wow. And he got the next out and finished the game. So that was 100 year, 102 years ago today, and apparently Ray Caldwell is the toughest son of a gun who ever played Major League Baseball. Well, Tougher than lightning. I'm surprised he wasn't pitching for the Black Sox. That was 1919 uh-huh. and the White Sox scandal. Right. So, um, he could have been a perfect oil for them but wow wow yeah here's your contract and it's mandatory that you go get drunk the night that you pitch (laughs) the 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 clauses of the contract were irregular habits and outbreaks of misbehavior they wanted him to still do that but just on the right day of the week see there were guys uh, that didn't have it in their contract they did it anyway (laughs) they were voluntary uh that did that pretty much on the nights they they pitched or the 
night after they pitched. And then you would see them the next day uh, out in the outfield with sweatpants, sweatshirts, all kinds of heavy gear on 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 a heavy day, just sweating it out. Yeah, and right. getting it out of their system to get ready for four days later. So that's nothing new. It's just nothing that I've ever seen in a contract. Yeah, that's before. hilarious. Well, as the story goes, when you read the contract. Caldwell told Trish Speaker, he said, you you left a word out. It's, you, you, I'm sure you meant to say you're not to get drunk. He's like, oh, no, I, I want you partying. I want you to pitch, party that night, You know, take the next two or three days to, to ramp back up, and then we got you at 100% the next time you're out there. I thought that was – That's great. Trish Speaker's a fun one to uh, to, to read up on if you never had before, really a, an innovator of our game, and I thought that was hilarious. And I thought this was the perfect venue for that story. You, you know, it was Trish Speaker that said – uh, Sheila's Joe Jackson. It's where triples go to die. Did he, he was the one who coined that phrase? Yeah, that's interesting. Is he the all-time doubles leader? I don't know the answer to that. Doubles or triples? We'll look that up. I want to say he's he's the career leader in one of those two categories. All right. Um, Time for your questions. Bravesbooth at gmail.com. I know JC's going to join in here with us here in a little while. And as always, you've loaded us up with great questions. So thank you so much. I've got three pages worth of questions here. They're all just tremendous. So we love our listeners and our podcast subscribers. And thank you so much for being out there. And uh, you see anything off the top of the list you want to fire away with, Joe? Yes. First one uh, from James. Do you guys talk to each other often during the offseason? No, we don't. The next question is from Todd. (laughs) They don't call it pick your own friends day on the last day of the season for nothing. That's right. No, we do. We communicate. Something good happens to any of us. We like the other ones to know or talk about it and happy for everybody. So, yeah, we, we communicate. Yeah, we do. I, I talk to JC a pretty good bit, and then we text here. Because you go to St. Simon's during the off season, so it's not like you're right around the corner, but we all stay in touch. And um, once we get to the off season, you get to see your friends and family a lot more often than you normally do, but we still stay in touch with the off season, whether JC likes it or not. I like to hear from everyone. <laughs> Sometimes, like, if I go, like, three or four days without hearing from Joe, I get worried that maybe i don't like you yeah yeah okay well i'll work on that this winter and <laughs> see if i can't do better yeah <laughs> what's your ideal meal before a game that's from carrie i'm gonna say anything that's really filling carrie because i hate getting to the seventh eighth ninth innings and being hungry so i try to go big on a meal probably my biggest meal of the day and i try to square it up about an hour before the first pitch and hopefully it tides me over Ben is very um, finicky and regular when it comes to eating before a game. Yeah, it's pretty We were regimented. in Miami last week, and we were through with all of our pregame preparations, and Joe said, it's eating time, let's go. And so Joe and I walked down the hall, and he said, it's been coming. And I said, well, no, he'll probably come in about 20 minutes. And he said, why? And I said, because he doesn't eat until one hour before the game. And then that takes about 30 minutes because I, I Ben's on my um, all-time roster of big eaters. Yeah, I can go through some chow. Man can put it away. Yeah. Uh, I like, I don't know, the ideal meal before a game. Um, I know Joe's not a big uh, fish guy, but uh, some salmon, some rice, maybe some broccoli is always good. Good healthy meal. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be definitely where Jim goes. Jim likes salmon. Mm-hmm. Uh, I... I like just about everything. So, um, 
Italian pasta. That'd be great. Yeah. We're not the pickiest eaters in the no, world. No, no, we're think. not. No, just as long as there's Oreos at the end, we're good. <laughs> That's the finish line we're all trying to cross. Right. Get some Oreos. Uh, from John, what are your thoughts on the Travis Darno extension? I'll go first. Uh, I was uh, a bit surprised, not that Travis didn't earn it or warrant it, but uh, I was just surprised they took care of it uh, before the season ended. And I'm very happy for Travis. And as we all are learning, we're at a very, uh, let me start over. The guys in the booth are at a big disadvantage over the last couple of years because we can't get to know the guys up close and personal. We can't go in the clubhouse. We can't hang out by the cage. Uh, the last two road trips we were on, we got to – actually, I met Travis Darno for the first time. You know, it's his second year here. Mm-hmm. But we're learning who these really – important guys are in the Braves clubhouse and Travis is one of those he's a he's a terrific leader he's a great player and he's going to be an, uh, an integral part for the next couple of years but having said that knowing that Contreras Langoliers are in the thresh in the wings waiting to be big league catchers for Atlanta they're pretty deep there uh to give him a two-year deal that was what was kind of surprising to me but I'm I couldn't be happier for Travis I think it's great yeah, I think it makes a lot of sense for a couple of reasons. And number one, Joe, is a reason that you brought up when we were in Baltimore. And that's you you clear this contract, and now you know what you can do for Freddie. Yeah. Because I know they want to re-sign him. We have, a, we have a question here in our list about all that. We'll get to that a little bit later. But you, you take care of that. Now that you can turn your attention to Freddie, we all thought that would have happened months ago. I know he, he thought that as well. Uh, but to me, the, the catching position is a delicate position. And I don't. I'm I'm excited for Langoliers. I'm excited for Contreras. I'm not crazy about bringing guys who are 23, 24 years old to the big leagues at that position and letting them run with it. And you guys tell me if you disagree, that's fine. I like veteran catchers. I like guys who have been around who can go handle an entire pitching staff. I don't know if that's the easiest thing to do for guys who just come up and do that right out of the chute. Um, there have been a few guys who have done that over years. Buster Posey comes to mind. He did a tremendous job. He changed their culture in that clubhouse sure. really quick. So maybe Langoliers could be a guy like that. But I think it's beneficial for those guys to have them under another veteran for a little while before you just hand them the reins. And I think Travis can do that. And I think having more good players isn't a problem. And Travis is a good player. So I'm all for having him for here for two more years. And I think that'll benefit the young guys coming up. As Ben said, I think it's such an important position. And for – look, he won a silver slugger last year. He's missed a lot of this year uh, when he was hurt with his thumb. But you know what you have in Travis, and you go ahead, you lock him up, you don't let him reach free agency. Um I think it's a good thing, and uh, I'm glad Travis is going to be here for a few more years. And when one of those other guys that have been mentioned, whether it's Contreras or Langoliers, is ready, I'm sure they'll bring them up. Um, I would assume they would want them to play every day when they do come up. But you have some insurance with Travis as well. So I thought it was a good move. It maybe came out of left field for some people. But I think that's the way Alex Anthopoulos has operated the entire time he's been here anytime there's been a big signing or an extension given we don't know about it until it's done yeah Mm -hmm. i kind of like that 
you know yeah it, it it eliminates a lot of speculation and hearsay and stuff you know people writing or going on social media talking about something might be imminent the braves might be about to make this deal or sign this guy uh to alex's credit none of us really know that that happened anything's going to happen until it does happen yeah what you got jc this question is from austin he wants to know how confident you guys are in the braves winning a world series in the next five years oh man that is i'm confident that they'll compete i'm confident that they'll be uh, division champions again but once you get to the postseason i mean who knows crapshoot yeah I mean, you could have – I mean, we've seen so many times where the team that we thought was the best team in the regular season didn't even make the World Series and vice versa. So I think the best you can do is put yourself in a position where you're competitive enough to win your division and get into the postseason and have the depth on the mound to go head-to-head with the other big teams in your league. And then at that point, you just hope that you can execute when the lights turn on. I'm 100% with you. Uh, the key here is to get there. The key is to get to the postseason. So over the next five years, I think the Braves' chances of getting to the postseason are excellent over the next five years after that you you there's so many things that i hate to be negative nelly but there's so many things that can go wrong right you know that that upset the apple cart and maybe the best team doesn't win so it's kind of hard to project if you're going to be the best team four years from now uh who knows but just getting there gives you a chance get in the tournament and see what happens i've seen so many teams over the years who would go and win a world series and everybody would say this team is set up to do this for the next however many years right and the cubs are the most recent example of that in my opinion phillies yeah phillies and they were there both those teams were there but they won one each mm-hmm. phillies in 08 cubs in 16 and everybody said this team could run three or four off in a row it didn't happen no nope. and if you can find your way to get one you're doing pretty good but I, i'm right there with you i think if you can get in there and, and be healthy that's another thing too you i don't, I don't even know if this team's gonna be healthy in October of this year, much less five years from now. Or tomorrow. Yeah. And you don't know what this team's going to look like in two years, um, four years, or five years. You know, a lot of the guys here, um, whether they choose to leave on their own, they're traded, or it's time for them to get paid, they may not be here. Uh, but I'll go on a limb and say I'm supremely confident. There you go. I yeah, like the confidence. I don't think that's a limb. No, they're going to be in there. It better be a big limb. <laughs> uh, let's see. Um... Well, this is good. When I go to Braves games, I like to listen to the games live on a portable radio. What are some of your favorite memories of listening to baseball on the radio? That's from Burke. That's a good one. I love your story, Joe, about driving up to the drive-in theater Mm -hmm. when you're in high school and listening to the Cardinals. That's my best one. Practically my only one as a kid, but uh, the Riverside Drive-In in in Norman, Oklahoma, uh, when you pulled in, Sometimes you'd hide guys in the trunk so you'd get more people in. <laughs> but uh, you, you pull in and you set up. And for those of you who've never been to a drive-in movie, you pull up next to a pole that has speakers on it. And you set the speakers in your car, like hang them on your uh, windows. You roll your window down, hang the speaker on there. Well, before it got dark enough for the movie to start, the St. Louis Cardinals were broadcast through KNOR Radio in, in Norman. And they had it piped in through those speakers until the movie started. So I'm listening to Jack Buck and Harry Carey. 
do Cardinal games. Man, that's cool. That is really, really cool. Jack Buck's the first major league broadcaster I remember hearing, and I was a kid. And I just remember hearing him and the crowd noise and thinking, man, it would be so cool to be there. One that comes to mind, and I'll, I'll tell you, this is a fun story to me. This was 1999. Um, Braves win the pennant, and I'm pretty sure it was the year the bases were loaded. Base loaded, walk. Braves win, go to the World Series. Mm-hmm. I was in college. I was a sophomore in college fall of my sophomore year and we had intramural intramural flag football going on and a buddy of mine pulled up next to the field with his truck and turned the radio on so we're playing and listening to the call of the game and we all stopped the game when we got to the ninth inning that's cool and listened to it everybody was standing out there in the intramural fields around the truck listening to the game walk off with a base loaded walk and we're all excited and then went back and finished the intramural game that was a fun night that's very cool okay um during the braves road winning streak this is from fred uh during the winning streak you guys become superstitious about anything in the booth good one did you guys start well, I know Jay Chad wore the same undies for like nine days, but <laughs> besides that. He only has that, two pair anyway. Besides that. Underwear and socks, the same every day. Yeah. Did you turn them inside out so you get double wear out of them? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I don't think I got superstitious, but you, you do start to show up almost with like a player's mentality as if we could affect the outcome of the game. Right. We'll show up like, we're going to get them today. We're mm-hmm. winning today. This tree continues. We're getting this done and acting like we're about to take the field. I thought, I mean, that's always funny to me. Uh, that's Jonathan every day. Yeah, yeah that's every, every day. day. Yeah, <laughs> I'm ready to go but it get just somebody. Kinda, it just yeah, kind of ramped are. it up more and more the more the winds kept piling up as if we had anything to do with anything. Well, I showed you guys on the road trip. I used pencil for my scorebook, and I had a pencil that was getting down to the nub. I couldn't even, I could barely hold it to write it in, but I hated to get rid of it because we're winning. (laughs) But I felt like at the end of the road trip, since we had finished off on a winning note, I could retire that pencil and go to a new one. And I'm looking at the new one, and it's 0-1. So it's on uh, notice tonight. Yeah. You better do something right. get that nub out of the garbage can. Right. <laughs> uh, this question is from Curtis. My question is, how can you tell what pitch is being thrown between a fastball, slider, and a cutter? Here's the secret, Curtis. We know going into a ball game what a pitcher's arsenal is. Uh, I know that, like for instance, Charlie Morton tonight, he's going to throw a fastball at 95, 96. He's going to throw a curveball mid to upper 70s. He's got a cutter that's going to be upper 80s, low 90s. Uh, he's got a changeup as well. We can see sometimes by just watching the pitch with the naked eye, but more times than not, you just see the velocity reading on the scoreboard and you know what pitch it is. If I see 97, I know it's a heater. If I see 90 from Charlie tonight, I know it through, he probably threw a cutter. If I see 77, I know it through a curveball. Uh, if I see 84, he probably threw a slider. So it, that's you know what range of velocity the pitches fall in, and typically that's what I go with. Now, occasionally you'll run across a pitcher who might have a 92 changeup, but you know his fastball is 101, so it's easy to differentiate there. And I think you, you just go into it knowing the neighborhood that his pitches are in velocity-wise, and that tells you what the pitch is. Yeah, and after so many years, you know, watching pitches from up here, you can tell when a guy takes a little off. That's why um, I learned at a, at a very early age of doing this. Um, 
this broadcasting gig was don't be don't try to be so specific that it was a curveball or a slider or a changeup. Suffice to say, off-speed pitch. Uh-huh. You know, there's an off-speed pitch. You can identify it a little later if you see it on a replay or if you see it identified on the scoreboard, whatever the case might be. You know it was off-speed. Chances are real good you know if it was a curveball or a changeup, and you might not know it was a slider. But it, you can get away with just saying, you know, off-speed pitch misses outside ball, yeah. too. So that that covers a lot of area. I think the toughest one to differentiate between, in my opinion, is slider and changeup. Yeah, I mean, sometimes just because the velocity readings are about the same, so unless you have a monitor to see a replay, a grip or whatever, then at that point you can know. But then you have other pitchers, especially relievers. Will Smith comes in the game and knows it's going to be a fastball or slider. He'll throw an occasional curveball, but you feel like I mean it's going to be one of those two pitches, and you can see that just by watching from up here. Sure. So I think that's it's repetition more than anything. This question is from Zach. He said, "You guys said Baltimore has one of the." best vantage points from the radio booth in Major League Baseball. What are some of the other best vantage points and some of the worst? Easy to identify the worst. Uh, Washington because it's so high. Pittsburgh because it's so high. Now, Pittsburgh, we have to qualify, put an asterisk because the view is so pretty. You know, looking right. out looking out over the stadium toward downtown and across the river and the bridges, that's a that's a beautiful view that we have. But it's hard to identify what's happening on the field because you're so high above the action. And this is just Joe talking. Uh, Washington and Pittsburgh come to mind immediately. The other one, um, and not really for the vantage point for me, but right in there with those two teams, is Los Angeles uh, at Dodger Stadium. It's a pretty good vantage point, but their PA system is so excruciatingly loud and obnoxious and over the top that we can barely hear each other and mm-hmm. it makes it uncomfortable to work when you feel like you're shouting into the mic just to hear yourself because it's so loud and there's other places too that are very similar to that that think that it's very important to make the fans ears bleed right. by playing everything so loud which is nuts well part of what they did well at baltimore not just the vantage point it, it wasn't overbearingly loud no. st louis too when we were there a few weeks ago it was so comfortable to come to the ballpark in the afternoon to be able to open your windows and not have to yell to the guy sitting three feet from you yeah well and uh we were talking about the the fan experience in baltimore uh they don't have a lot they don't have anything going on on the field they don't have any games to play they don't have any uh special things for the fans but it's a they came for the game they came to watch the ball game Hmm. what a novel idea (laughs) <laughs> uh, some booths I like. Um, you know, most of these booths are kind of the same for me. Um, I'm looking at the back of Ben and Joe's head uh, for nine innings, but some are more comfortable than others. Uh, Philadelphia is good for me. Uh, Miami, Milwaukee, you know, Baltimore was kind of tight, but the vantage point was good. The view in San Francisco is yeah. is, is really, really good. I don't have yeah. the quite the view that you guys do. Colorado's okay. Arizona's okay. Um, one I really enjoyed, we went to a few years ago, was Cleveland. Yeah. I thought Cleveland had a good booth, a pretty good vantage point. The windows there were spectacular. Uh, Kansas City was good. Minnesota was good. Houston has uh, an interesting setup because the fans uh, at our level come right up, right almost right below our booth windows. So they're very close to us, and that's kind of fun. And we're sitting 
positioned down low um, from a vantage point standpoint. But the best all-time, and I've told you guys about this, the best all-time location to do a game was Old Tiger Stadium. You literally were, you felt like you were sitting right on top of the backstop. That's awesome. Uh, You were so low. And uh, Ernie Harwell actually had to put a screen in front of where he sat because of so many balls come in there and coming in where he might not be looking and just get smoked. So they had to put a screen in front of him to protect him. And I, I know that doing some games there with Seattle, there were times I wish I'd had a glove because I was definitely ducking. They were coming back so quick, so fast, and you were so close to the action. And... Um, that that was a superb experience doing them from Detroit. Yeah, you showed me some pictures. I never because they had two press boxes there, and you showed me this was for baseball. This was for football. Football right. was way off. That's true. But baseball. I mean, it was right there on the plate, man. Uh, I'm honestly, it, it felt like um, if you look at the top of the the backstop, the screen behind home plate here at uh, Truist Park, it felt like it the bottom of the press box. Of the booth set right on that man that is awesome uh let's see this is from pepper he's got a couple of questions which baseball city has the best golf joe you could answer that one uh, name a current braves player that has hit a homer that absolutely blew you away for any reason uncle wesk already know his grand slam earlier this year uh does jay chad have any on-air aspirations i always enjoy when you guys ask for his input but i've never actually heard him on a broadcast and also who's the best cook in the booth pepper those were good ones that was a really good question let's start with the best cook start with the last question you two guys are really good grillers aren't you i'll have to give uh, overall i'll i'll give it to ben ben's a really good cook yeah we'll make it happen at spring training we got some uh some culinary delicatessens going on down yeah, there they, <laughs> they can they can uh, do some grill work and they can stack some cans yeah, that's true get thirsty down there uh, what else on there do you want to throw you have out any there? On-air aspirations, Jay Chad. I do not. We tried this once before. Let's do it again. Tell everybody at home, as you were going to start a broadcast. Hello again, everybody. Hello again, everybody. <laughs> what else? Anything else? Along with Joe Simpson and Ben Ingram. Yeah. I'll work on it again for next week. He's, okay. he's our Charlie Watts. Rest in peace yeah. today, by the way. Oh, he wants to be in the band, but he doesn't want any part of the spotlight. Yeah. <laughs> He's our Charlie. Yes, he is. I'm happy with where I sit. Yeah, you do a great job. Uh, the best golf, I'll, I'll put Philadelphia in there. Philadelphia's got some great, great old country clubs and golf courses. And uh, I'm actually wearing a, a baseball cap, golf cap today from Gulf Mills that Jeff Rancourt took me to a couple of years ago that was just awesome. I had never heard of it. All the years I'm going to Philadelphia, I never heard of Gulf Mills. But uh, Philadelphia's right there. San Francisco, too, has, um, you know, it's a little more spread out around the bay, but uh, San Francisco has great golf as well. Here's uh, a, My oh. home run? My home run I thought of was uh, Freddie Freeman. His home run off uh, Roy Halladay for his first big league homer. Oh, nice. How far he hit that for his first big league homer off a Cy Young Award winner, I thought that was pretty incredible. That's a good one. This question here is uh, pretty complex, so fair warning. Gentlemen, Butch from McDonough. First time, long time. Question for you. What are your thoughts on robot umpires? Is it good for the game? What about for society as a whole? If we give all of the power to robots in baseball, 
where does it end? <laughs> I, for one, am fearful of a world where our lives are controlled by artificially intelligent beings. I'll hang up and listen. That's pretty deep right there, yeah. uh, Butch. Um, robot umpires, well, it would only be at home plate. Yeah. Uh, you're still going to have base umpires. I have a, I have a, a vision that there will be a home plate umpire. He just won't call balls and strikes. He'll call fair and foul. He'll call safer out at home. So he's just back there. Yeah, he's there. Um, but I, I see players wearing uh, gadgets in their uniform that create a hologram strike zone. <laughs> right. Because home plate will have these same uh, lights coming up, emanating that you can't see except... This is like Star Wars. Yeah, but it's going to come up. The It'll intersect with what is in the player's uniform to create a strike zone. It comes up from home plate, uh-huh. and the lights go across from the uniform, and when the ball goes through there, beep. Would there be would it would the light be distracting to the player? Is this invisible? No, you can't see it. It's kind of like radar. Yeah, you've thought about this. Well, I invented it. It's called it's called it's called Joe Zone. <laughs> <laughs> we could all retire on that one. Yeah, we could. Oh man, Joe Zone. Mm-hmm. Mm. <laughs> uh, so I'm not worried about it going much beyond that, Butch. But yeah, I can see it happening. Yeah, I mean, this sounds like a, a Twilight Zone episode mm-hmm. with, with robots running the world, or, or Black Mirror, as you have now on. Is that on Netflix? I think it's on Netflix. Really weird. I, I'm all for. Call me old school. I like regular umpires back there. Some I like better than others. And I like an actual guy back there saying strike ball and all that. But, um, okay, let's see. How do you deal with baseball withdrawal during the offseason? Going from covering a game almost daily to none during the offseason. That is from Dusty. Dusty Rhodes, man. Boy, was he a cool guy. Yeah, he was best. He was great. He lived in my neighborhood. God rest his soul. He was so fun. Told some, told me some great stories. Told my family great stories. Um, so anytime I hear Dusty, that's what I think of. I think the the weirdest time, Dusty, are the couple of days right after the season ends, because our our body clock is still telling us and looking at our watch. Got to go to the ballpark. You're supposed to be somewhere. I got to get in the shower. I got to go. Oh, no, I don't. Season's over. I think those first few days, maybe even the first five to seven days are the toughest because you are not out of that routine. Yeah. I think another element to that is if there are other teams still playing and you're done, Mm -hmm. you don't make the playoffs or once you get bounced out of the playoffs. And I, I watched the World Series last year with all the enthusiasm that I normally would just because I love the game. But there is that weird moment in game one, I feel, where it's like, man, I really thought we were going to be there. Right. And if you don't make the postseason just to be done and know people who are in the game that are still working and they, they might work another month, you you, you might have a, a month off longer than, than they will have in the offseason. Uh, well, see, now that brings up another good point, Ben, and that is all those years the Braves uh, won – their division um there was no division playoff there was mm-hmm. um the wild card came along wild card team came along but you started playing and then had the nlcs there, there wasn't another layer and it seemed like every year when the braves either got to the nlcs or through the world series they weren't done until late october and that was really shortening the 
recovery time for all of those pitchers yeah. who were throwing tons of innings into the postseason, pitching with sore arms and trying to get through the best they could after a long season. But man, they had come back in the spring and start all over. And I remember Tom, and Tom Glavin would be a great guy to ask this question, talking about how Bobby Cox was very uh, aware of these stresses on the especially on the pitchers and he really gave those guys time at their own pace to get ready in spring training just to be ready for the start of the season try to get them as much rest as he could yeah that's that's an additional four to five weeks every year yes that you weren't getting that all these other guys were true I would say for me, uh, I don't know if there's too much withdrawal. You know, I do about 200 games a season, and I don't think at least I realize how tired I am until the season's over because you literally go from, especially when we're traveling, you go from 100 miles an hour every day to zero. And it's just as hard when spring training starts when you go from zero to 100 and you ramp it back up. It takes some time to get back into that routine. Um, But – you know, I would say by the time the new year rolls around, you've kind of caught your breath a little bit and you're looking forward to seeing everyone and getting down to spring training and, um, you know, show up to the ballpark here in Atlanta here and there in the off season to do a few things. But I would say after the new year, you, you really start to think about it. Well, that stands to reason because I've heard your girlfriend, Margaret Ann, say when the season's over, she thinks it's very amusing. You just walk around for about a week yelling, stand by. <laughs> 30. Right. St- stand by. Nobody's more excited for spring training than Margaret Ann. No. <laughs> Get him out of there. <laughs> He's finally gone. I, I, you know, the weirdest thing to me is once the season ends and I'm at the house and it's about 6, 6.30, and it's like, dead gummit. I got to feed myself tonight. Yeah. Nobody's right. going to bring food into my room like they would into our booth. All of a sudden, you're up. You've got to fend for yourself for dinner each night. Here's one for you guys uh, from Todd. Todd. Why is the radio broadcast so much better and so much more fun? That's the easiest question we've ever been asked. Yeah, and I think he meant so much more fun than TV. I mean, look at the cast. Mm-hmm. You got the three of us. I mean, come on. I would say our goal every day when we show up is to do the best job we can and also have fun. Mm-hmm. Right. Oh, no doubt. They're really not allowed to have fun next door. No laughing, no cutting up, no teasing. Um, all serious. Yeah. All, all serious, all the time. And I can vouch for that and being told, you know, like, you know, kind of get back, right. get back to business, um, which makes for a real boring broadcast, in my opinion, telecast. And so we're over here and we've got, we can do, we're professional, but we have fun and we talk about stuff and we're conversational and it doesn't have to be. We don't have to ball one and strike two everybody to death. We can actually talk about stuff, and that's what makes it fun. I remember Don told me one time, he said, and you say this all the time, somebody told me one time this is supposed to be fun, Mm -hmm. and that's really the the motto in this booth. It is. Having a good time. Guys, got anything else you want to fire in there? Uh, I've got one. All right. I got one last one, and that is uh, from Heath. That's a good name. What's the main job of a bench coach? And it is a very valuable spot on the staff. If you've got a good bench coach, he's like the assistant manager, the second set of eyes for you. Uh, You're trying to stay focused on the game as it's being played out, Heath, as the manager. And sometimes you may forget that, you know, 
your pitcher's already thrown 98 pitches and you're only in the fourth inning maybe you need to get somebody up in the bullpen so i mean that may fall under the the heading of a pitching coach but you've got to have a a bench coach thinking ahead thinking about two batters ahead thinking an inning and a half ahead just so as a manager you can make decisions based on those forecasts and those projections and you got to have somebody who can have that vision and walt weiss is great at it yeah almost like the vice president well he's managed yeah you know that that makes a big difference too kind of imagine your managers your president your bench coaches your vice president Mm -hmm. and you've you've heard it before with with great counsel comes great wisdom and the more good minds you have down in that dugout i think the better results and opportunities might have night in night out it's kind of like i'm the bench coach up here no question. Yeah. You are. You are. Um, and there's, you know, we, we've got to talk about a new deal for you, just like with Fred Freddy. I don't know why it's taken this long, but <laughs> we got to negotiate that. Think you they know. can afford him? Got to. Yeah. There's some things you don't scrimp on. Right. And our bench coach for the booth is not one of those areas. Mm-hmm. Here, here's a question from uh, Biff. He says, hey, guys, love the show. I have a question about Truist Park. I see the flag, the American flag flying in right field, but it looks like there are other flags flying beside it. How many flagpoles are there? Keep up the good work, Biff. It's a good question. Obviously, doesn't have the opportunity to come to the ballpark that often. <laughs> but there like are three. three. Three flagpoles. The tallest, of course, for the Star Spangled Banner. And then there's Georgia State flag and then a Braves flag. You know, there's one caveat to that. If we're playing the Blue Jays, I think the Braves flag comes down and the Canadian flag goes up. I think you're right. But other than that, it's it's those three. So there are three flagpoles. And the, mm-hmm. they use the light standards here for all the pennants. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, because there's a million of them because all, all they do is win. Uh, but if they had the pennants uh, for the division championships, you know, the World Series, things like that, there would probably be about 50 flagpoles. You know who does something really cool with that? Um, I think it's the Giants, I think, at Oracle Park. Um they have lights in the light standard in right field with the standings like the national league divisions where and then they adjust those lights depending on where the standings are uh each day i think that's pretty cool that is pretty cool i just counted there's 38 pennants out there wow pretty good going all the way back to 1872 better better make room for number 39 yeah hopefully we can get a few more red ones up there the, the red ones are the world series championships the navy ones are the pennant championships pennant winners the royal blue are the division winners and the white ones are wild card to differentiate amongst the colors but need a few more red ones up there good old chipper jones down there on the field as we speak shagging Look at him. We're going to have to get Chipper up here one week. Yeah. Still need to get him to donate a bat for our bat rack here in the booth. Oh, that's right. We got to get on that. Yeah, we do. Well, I'd keep this thing rolling right along, but I've got to interview Snit for the Brian Snitker Report here in about 10 minutes. So we're going to wrap this thing up and 
I'll go chat with the manager. But as always, thanks so much for uh, the participation, folks. Thanks for the emails, bravesbooth at gmail.com. If you want to go ahead and fire away with a question for next week, we'll be recording this show from Dodger Stadium next week as the Braves have a three-game series out there early next week. And that'll be episode 12 coming your way next week. Go ahead and shoot us uh, an email to our inbox, bravesbooth at gmail.com. And maybe we'll read your email on the show next week. Good stuff. Way to go, everybody. That was fun. So, hope you all have a great rest of your week. For Jonathan, for Joe, I'm Ben. You've been inside the Braves booth.